Bellissimo Files, home to the world's biggest stars. Get your hands up. Live on your radio. And you can check us out on your socials. <laughs> your favorite person, Serena. Serena! <laughs> ready for you to go ahead and take it away. This. This is the Bellissimo Files. Is the Bellissimo Files on spin. And now, your host, yeah. Serena Bellissimo. Hey, how's it going? Serena here with you for the next couple of hours. Today's a very exciting show because on today's Bellissimo Files, we are celebrating the last 10 years that have been the Bellissimo Files slash Plan B. On today's show, producer Eva and I have gone back through the archives to try and find our favourite celebrity interview. It's been tough. There's been hundreds of interviews that we have had to go through. So I apologise in advance. The next two hours are going to be a massive name drop. I'm going to be looking back at interviews with Tom Cruise... George Clooney, Channing Tatum, who else is there? Mm-hmm. Margot Robbie. Aoife, do you have a favourite? Oh, I think our first one, our one to watch is my favourite. Well, now that you've mentioned it, we've had some amazing acts over the years, Aoife. A lot of them started in our one to watch and have gone on to stellar careers. Stick around next because you're going to find out which female superstar I spoke to before she went into orbit. The Bellissimo Files is home to the world's biggest stars. This is Spin. You're listening to The Bellissimo Files, where today producer Aoife and I are going to be looking back at some of our favourite moments over the last 10 years. The One to Watch segment, Aoife, is one of our favourite segments. Yeah, it really is. I have loved getting to highlight really big, amazing new acts every week like it's just there's such good music from up and coming artists out there there really are and we've had all kinds of artists we've had homegrown artists we've also had international artists Mm -hmm. one that we featured I think it was at the very beginning of lockdown do you remember High School Musical, the musical, the series, the yes. series, the musical, whatever yes. that TV show is called? <laughs> Do you remember one of the stars we had on the show? I know. And look at her now. She was talking about her new music that she was about to launch. We're talking about Olivia Rodrigo. Yes. Who we actually were very lucky to get to go see this year as well. She was brilliant. But we're not going to play her out today. The interview we're playing out... Oh, I cannot remember how long ago this was. It was at least five years ago. And I was asked by Warner, oh, there's this up-and-coming artist. I think Mm. she's going to be huge. Do you want to talk to her? Well, okay, let me have a look. I loved her music straight away. I'm talking about Dua Lipa. Let's find out what Dua Lipa was like before she became Dua Lipa. Dua, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to have you on the show because I have to say, since I found out I was going to be interviewing you, your music has been on loop. I am. <laughs> What's it like knowing that the thing that you've been working towards for the last few years is finally starting to happen? And not only is it happening, but people are loving what you're producing. It's the most exciting thing in the world. Obviously, before you put anything out, you never really know what the reaction is going to be. And because... You know the support has been so amazing. I I'm I'm like I'm I'm so humbled by it, and I'm so grateful for all of it. It's truly like amazing. It must be a mind blowing time for you because I mean, you know, your music is finally out there. During the week, you were walking the red carpet at the Brits. I mean, what was that like? Were you both awestruck and starstruck <laughs> at the same time? Yeah, I mean, it was so surreal just being at the Brits for the first time was so crazy and kind of what was crazy was having some people actually know who I was and be like do I can I have a picture I was like what with me <laughs> yeah it was it was it's pretty surreal no it's really fun can we go back to the very beginning because I want to know how a 15 year old girl gets the guts to tell her parents you know what I'm moving out I'm moving to London then how do you have the guts to follow through it was kind of the thing where even though I moved out, I constantly had to call my mum in the morning. Okay, I've woken up. All right, I'm leaving the house. Okay, I'm in school. Okay, I finally left school, just got home, making dinner. It was literally nonstop on the phone, right? Um, so I, I, was, I was being looked after from afar, for sure. It was a gutsy decision, and I'm sure you felt confident doing it. But how did that experience shape you as a person? It's definitely made me way more independent. It's really pushed me creatively I've had a lot more to write about I believe I feel like a lot of the experiences I've had kind of growing up really helped me in my writing and my storytelling and you know I feel like I just had to go and pick out the lucky dip from the memory box when I've been writing this album so yeah no it's been great and it's definitely been something that's helped me a lot with my confidence it's made me really easy to kind of talk to people and and be very 
confident. A lot of people tend to go down, you know, the X Factor talent show experience to break into the industry. Now, you made it to the 2013 ad, but you didn't make it onto the show. Can you tell me about that experience? So I was just doing some, like, commercial work part-time. Yeah. They were like, okay, there's this commercial. Go down, sing a song. I went, sang, and later that day they were like, okay, we want you on the commercial. Then I got offered to go and audition for the show, and I was like, you know, it's just not me. I would rather just kind of keep on doing what I'm doing and just put out more covers and keep networking because I felt like at the time I was getting somewhere and all I needed was really to find a manager to kind of help me out, and I just decided not to go down that route. I'm completely up for it, and I support it. You know, it does give opportunities to loads of people. I just felt that for me it wasn't the route I should be taking, and I guess for me it worked out without doing so how did you get that break? How did you find find the right manager for you? Because that's the hardest thing. I mean, there's so many people out there posting their stuff on YouTube. How do they get noticed? I guess every every person's journey is going to be different. There's so many people that ask me for, like, tips on what's the best way to, you know, how do you get signed or how did you get to it? And it, it's difficult to explain, you know, after getting the X Factor thing, I then ended up working with some producers and started writing some songs. And they were like, oh, you can actually write off a publishing deal. And I decided not to sign it. Um, and I had to get like a music lawyer just to read through the contract and just kind of teach me really what a publishing was and how a record deal works. And just through that, and then he offered to help me find a manager. And that's when he introduced me to my manager, Ben. That's kind of how it came, came about for me. I then got in the studio, starting writing those. Yeah, and then labels started hearing my songs. Well, as well as writing your own stuff um, and being very talented, you know, you can sing, you can write. Your sense of style is also amazing, so much so that you've been described as Stella McCartney's stylish muse. How did you get on Stella McCartney's radar? (laughs) It's No, it's insane. Obviously, it's just a lot through putting music out, and I don't really know how we got contacted. It was through my management, and also I'm on the artist board at Next Models. They represent me as an artist, so I guess designers would go and speak to them and my management together. Are you ready to be walking that Brit's red carpet next year and everybody's screaming your name? Are you ready for that? Because that's what's going to be happening. I'm ready. I love that interview. I love it because Aoife, she was literally on the cusp. I love when I said to her, are you ready for everyone to know your name? And she says, I'm ready. Do you think she really thought she was going to be as big as she is now. Does that mean the Bellissimo file slash plan B can take credit for launching Julie? <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. I mean, incredible. Yeah. And we're such big fans now as well. We are. We're still massive fans. We saw her as well. We did. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Her show was, we thought the future nostalgia show that she put on, remember online? We were yeah. lucky enough to see that. And then we saw her at the Three three Arena. She yeah. blew our minds. A complete superstar. She really is. Talking about superstars, up next, we're going to be looking back on some massive Irish exclusives that we had on the Bellissimo Files. Three, two, one. Let's go. It's the Bellissimo Files. The Bellissimo Files. On spin. On today's show, we are looking back at some of the most fabulous moments of the past 10 years. But before we do that, we want to look forward. We want to look forward to a film that is in cinemas next week. It is called Emily. It tells the story of Emily Bronte. Starring as Emily is the fabulous Emma Mackey. You'll recognise her from Sex Education. She plays Maeve. And co-starring alongside Emily is Oliver Jackson Cohen from the Haunting series on Netflix. He plays Waitman. I caught up with him to find out more about the film. Oliver, I was on your Instagram. And you had up a poster of Emily and you said, it's basically the sex education haunting crossover. You didn't know you needed. Yeah. <laughs> that was my caption. <laughs> That's why I'm not on Instagram That's anymore. Right. I read it and I went, well, he's sort of right. There is a bit of horror and it is a coming of age tale. Like what can people expect from this? Well, I mean, it's, I don't want to preempt anything. I think it's just nice to go in with no expectations and just experience the film and, and, uh, and it's just nice to have a story that is, to me, actually quite hopeful, even though it is quite, there are lots of gothic elements and it's quite su- surprising twists and turns. It feels like a, a, also a comforting film and a hopeful film. And, and, I, and I, I'd like people to leave with a sense of, oh, I can make stuff happen and not impose too many rules on myself. I love all the relationships in this. And it looks like they're real. You guys did get to hang out and live together during the filming of this. How did that help? And what are, what are some of your favourite offset memories that you have and you can share? We had a great time. We really I could did. talk about it for hours because it was yeah. it was such a wonderful bubble to be in. And we, and we had two weeks of rehearsal before we started shooting. And then 
during the filming we were yeah we all lived in the house together and it was it was the off-screen moments that I remember also the most because they mm. made me feel really safe and I was really nervous and scared about the film and there were lots of you know there's a lot to do in it so it was nice to be you know to have the reassurance of the cast members and to and to yeah have fun together and m make food at the weekends and go on walks and stuff like it was played chess by the fire yeah. with Amelia so like it was very it was really wholesome it, it really it was, was. Really and, wholesome. and I feel like it, without like sounding like uh, you know actor actor. Cliche, yeah, like actor cliches <laughs> but but we re we really did like have an incredible and it was like it was incredible Bramwell says to Emily what do you want to do with your life and her response to begin with is I don't know when did you guys know that acting was the life for you? I was as soon as I came out the home. I was two years old. Did a tap dance. <laughs> did a little tap dance. Shelbus, honey. <laughs> Shelbus. Uh, no, I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know when the clincher was. I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't really have a, dis a decisive moment. I, when I finished uni, I, I decided to move to London and start auditioning for drama schools, but and become an actor but it was always there it was always a kind of sort of a dream a distant dream but I didn't really think it was a doable thing I think but I, I, I don't know if yeah. you were, when you were a kid you were, I was always playing all the time making up imaginary stories and things and mm. putting on shows for my family and you know all whether they wanted stuff. them or not indeed um I, I, I that quite a, like, it's quite a seminal uh, I remember going to see Home Alone the 1992 classic film. classic um and yeah and and just and just being like oh my god that's a that's a job and and became like job. quite obsessed with um the fact that you could do that and then then yeah so i was stupidly young but it's one of those things that i look back on and i'm like was this the smartest was this the smartest, this thing, the smartest I thing to decide? Like done six years I love old. that Home Alone was of all Home the films was your starting point. You were like, "This is what I want to do." Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, was it yeah. the shaving cream? Was it? It was the, the shaving cream. Ah. It was also the fact that he had like complete freedom. Yeah. <laughs> I just oh, wanted just, to do that, and I remember dream. my dad. My dad told me they were making a sequel, and then for a week I sat. They had like the house that we lived in. They had like a window that gave out onto the street and I sat and there was a table and I sat on that table every day coming back from school because I thought that someone would walk by and be like that. There's a kid, we'll use him for the sequel. How messed up is that? Looking back on it. That's heartbreaking. <laughs> just like, <laughs> just sat there like that any, any minute now they'll turn up. Oh, I love my look. Imagine if anyone turned up, come with amazing. me. Yeah. They didn't turn up for Home Alone 2, but they did turn up for this and so much more. Yeah, and I'm so glad they have. Thank you for the chat. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you can catch Emily in Irish cinemas from the 14th of October. Still to come on the Bliss Files. Actually, up next, I'm going to be looking back on chats with, I can't believe I'm saying this. I still pinch myself any time I say this. Tom Cruise and George Clooney. Come back and come back to me. The Bellissimo Files is home to the world's biggest stars. This is Spin. Spin 1038, Beyonce, Break My Soul. Aoife, there's no song I don't like on that Renaissance album. Oh, it's so, so good. She's brilliant. Um, something else that's brilliant is the past 10 years that we've had here on the Bellissimo Files. It's been a fun 10 years where we've got to catch up with some of the biggest names in Hollywood. And boy, were some of them charmers. I got to catch up with the One Direction lads when they were... Do you remember that? The documentary that they put out? I think it was called This Is Us, One Direction. Oh, yeah. They're, yeah. So they were doing a promo for that. And I was like, do you want to go over? Uh, yeah, I want to go over. <laughs> and Niall and Harry were paired together. Niall and Harry were such charmers. But not the biggest charmers. Do you know who the biggest charmers were that I've come across? Who? Channing Tatum and Matt Bomer. I got to catch up with them in 2015 when they were talking all about... Magic Mike XXL. Channing and Matt, uh, thank you so much for coming back for Magic Mike XXL. Thank, thank you. you for having us. When you knew that filming was about to start, what got you most nervous? The dieting, the training, or the waxing? That's all of it, really, to be honest. Like, not, nothing takes the lead in that. I mean, other yeah. than knowing that you're going to have to get butt naked in front of, you know, a thousand women at the end of it all. Yeah, and you're in, like, those little G-strings. Come on, you have... I know you have rocking bodies, but it has to be a bit self-conscious when you're going out there and the women are all at you trying to get a piece of you. There was no acting in that, I'd say. I'm self-conscious when I wear a T-shirt. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, is the short answer to that. Mm -hmm. 
When I go skiing and I got all that mm-hmm. ski equipment on, I saw you. I'd be like, boy, we got this. You got it. You're going to kill it on these slopes, son. You're good. I know. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Most people, when they see a day off on their schedule, they're like, yep, I'm having a sleep in. I'm doing whatever. But you guys go, day off. I'm going on to set. Why? It's just fun. Like, I, I mean, I know a lot of people say this, like, about their movies. They're like, oh, I don't know, we just had so much fun. Like, I really love the people. Like, like we, I, we really genuinely, I don't know, I just really genuinely love everybody on the movie. And, and it's so much fun to watch. Generally, everything that's happening every day and every scene is something that you kind of go, I can't miss that. And uh, you just want to be there for it. I don't blame you. I really consider everyone in this cast a brother, truthfully. Mm-hmm. And we're all facing some pretty intimidating circumstances together. So um, there is a certain kinship that forms from that. You just want to support. When you guys see yourselves on screen, right? Amazing dance moves, amazing dance moves, and an amazing voice. Do you sometimes just sit back, tell me the truth, sit back and go, that's me. I'm actually not bad. Hell no. (laughs) Really? Hell no. I would. I go, I'm like, always, anytime I see myself. Have you seen yourself? And have you heard yourself? I saw myself sitting next to my wife's dad at the premiere, oh. and that was a mistake. Oh. And even though he I want a was tight, tight two shot of that, <laughs> <laughs> I was I I just like sat up and I was like, I'm so sorry. Oh my god. Okay, let's next scene. Like, and you just want the scene to be over with. You're just like, please cut away, cut away, cut away, cut away. Talking families, right? The billboards have gone up everywhere true so matt you're driving past them and your kids are going that's dad yeah what's their reaction to the billboards well i kind of laid out for them in terms that they could understand what the movie was about um and i would try to kind of strategically avoid them on certain routes but there was one that was right on the way to their school so there's just no getting around it but you know they always keep me grounded real humble because they were like our oldest son who's 10 was like that's you up there i said yeah yeah that's me he goes but they're not all you. That's just you on the side over there. And I was like, yeah. Keeping it real. Keeping it real. Do you know who is keeping it real? I'd say the school mum and the school dads. What's their reactions? I have been wearing a large hat to drop off <laughs> these days. I'm sure their reactions are very, very good. Yes, the bodies were amazing. But for me, what really was fantastic was the dancing. I had this massive smile on my face. I mean, this guy defies gravity. It's insane. I, I think, and, and the thing is, it's so good you can't even try to emulate it or try to replicate it at home because I'm like, if I even tried that, I, I would break my neck. <laughs> Not just as a figure of speech, I would actually break my neck. <laughs> well, there's a lot of Irish men watching this not wanting to break their neck, right? Huh. But they just want one basic move on the dance floor mm. that is going to have success. What would be the basic move you'd suggest? Oh, man, I'd just say just don't try too hard. Yeah. Just try hard enough. Says the amazing dancer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's a subjective question, too, because if you try to give one, everybody the same move, then it would just kind of be, you know, yeah, you don't monotonous. Want, yeah, you don't it's want It's what you do the, well, what brings club, out just, you, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Magic Mike 3, or are we done? I, you know what? Look, I don't have anything else that happened in the one year that I did. <laughs> I put them all in two movies. So I, I don't, I'm out of ideas. Like, okay. So the internet can, like, throw out ideas and maybe we can run with one of them. That'd be great, because you can't be saying no to smiles like this, can you? Oh, that's what you're doing that's to us That's really all. sweet. Yeah, you're a charmer. You are. Oh, yeah, you're you're charm. Stop, I'm going red now. On that I, note, it's woo. time for me to leave. <laughs> Guys, yes. thank you so much. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so So, Aoife, back in 2015, Channing and Matt told us there wasn't going to be a new Magic Mike. Guess what? They always say that. Yeah, they lied. It's taken eight years, but in 2023, February, we will have Magic Mike's Last Dance. And are the guys returning for it? Well, Channing's definitely returning, so it'll be Mm. interesting to see where they take this story. There's still so much more to come on the Bellissimo Files. Up next, we're going to be looking at, not that we haven't already had some iconic interviews, but some more iconic interviews that we've had on the show. Three, two, one. Let's go. It's the Bellissimo Files. The Bellissimo Files. On spin. You're listening to the Bellissimo Files on Spin, where all morning we are looking back at some of the most iconic interviews that we've had on the show over the past 10 years. Aoife, there's been a lot. We've had the likes of Gal Gadot and Henry Cavill. They were talking about Justice League, where they played Wonder Woman and Superman. Henry Cavill's been back two times since then. Mm-hmm. I think he's, he's one of the, my most repeat interviews. Actually, and one of the ladies we're going to talk to soon, she's also been on three times. 
But before we look back at that, will we talk about a moment that I think is the most iconic moment that I've had in all the years of interviewing? It's more a photo than a moment. That's quite a big sell, but it's actually very well deserved. Yeah. Do you know what, though? I'm not going to tell you about it here. Let myself and Idris Elba tell you about that moment. Idris, one of my all-time favourite Junket photos is, I don't know if you can see this, is of Rock and Roller. It is you, Tom Hardy, and myself. I wow. absolutely. When you look at that photo, do you remember how you were feeling back then? Back then, like your career was taking off. Did you ever think this is where you'd be? Um, at that junction, um, you know, I was just having so much fun and feeling very, very lucky. Look, you know, Tom uh, is is a good mate, and watching his rise and being with Guy Richie and the team. You know, it was a really exciting time for me. So I didn't have my eyes firmly fixed on where I might be in 10 years. But actually, now I'm here, I'm sort of thankful for that journey. You know, um, I'm really happy to see that picture, dude. Really happy to see it. <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I pull that out every now and again, just to put the smile back on my face. If you want to see the photo that made Idris Elba freak out, go over to our socials at Serena Bellissimo and at Aoife Plunky. We will have the photo up there. There's been other iconic moments too. I think this was one of my favourites. Kate, Sandra and Sarah. Do they need surnames? Should we give them just in case? Sandra Bullock, (laughs) Kate Blanchett and Sarah Paulson. They were talking Ocean's 8. Yeah, and if you have heard the beginning of our show and you hear in our intro, you're my favourite person, Serena. That was when Sarah Paulson was on with us and you're Sarah Paulson's favourite person apparently. Sandra, Kate, Sarah, thank you, thank you, thank you for this film. I loved it. It's so fab. It is so slick. It is so cool. And it is so fun. And I'm not the only one who thinks so because you stole. There's thank more than God. one person. <laughs> yeah, well, you stole the box office at I, the US. A, one person with $41 million. <laughs> but also in, in South America and yes, also um, in Australia. And Your the most country. successful franchise uh, film in this franchise. How I do you know. guys we feel about that? It's pretty thrilling. <laughs> it's great. It's exciting. Yeah. I've been um, stalking, I mean, watching a lot of your interviews. And something that a lot of you girls have been saying is that... Get me out of here. (laughs) Yeah, that too. But as well as that. (laughs) That was so genuine. (laughs) But on the set, you said you felt safe and protected. Why is that? We did. Well, I think. Well, (laughs) I think it was that feeling amongst amongst ourselves. We sort of we could. um, Yeah. Yeah. I think we felt. I think we did. We we felt an instant. Um, understanding or we, we gain it's, it's, that we're all in it together that we all need yeah. to support each other we need to rise to the occasion as a group rather than it be someone splitting out and making it about themselves and yeah. I, I think it's, that, yeah. that rarely happens in, in you can any business eight yeah. people yeah. Um, regardless of gender and it's always going to be a funny thing to figure out it's what always that outcome is school. Yeah, yeah. Totally. and, and it kind of just worked yeah. Yeah. and it's also for me that the, I was so excited that everyone signed on so quickly I mean you I were was, unemployed I was unemployed but you're super busy <laughs> you're very and, busy was you know, busy at all no. <laughs> <laughs> was doing anything <laughs> <laughs> I love that this takes place at the Met Gala. You guys get to do this in real life, though. Mm-hmm. You get to go to these fancy events. In the film, we see Daphne really stressing out about preparing for one of these events. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's it's it like? all real. Pretty much <laughs> like that. It is. It's pretty much of, like yeah. that. Is it really? Well, you're being judged. You're not going there and they're going, I want to see what's in her brain. I want to get to know who she is, is a right. person, is an artist. No. <laughs> if you look like a fat cow, they're going to say, she looks like a fat cow today. <laughs> She's not looking good as she did yeah. two years ago. Oh, I see the next starting to go. And I, so, like, that's what yeah. you're imagining. Oh, I love and I think it. you did that thing once I where somebody it. was... Oh, they still do it. And the carpet, and they were sort of going down to the bottom and coming all the way up. And she, it's like I forgot to, I forgot to get my toes done. She was like, "Excuse me." No, there was a low point. I was at the Globes one year. I didn't win, but they had never on the carpet, and they said, "Do you want to go into the mani pedi cam?" I said, "I'm sorry, the West." And I said, "I am not going into any fucking mani pedi cam." It's like I've been nominated for my work. I was nominated. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But do you know what I mean? Like, it's totally. so stupid. But I actually, I love dressing up. Dressing up can be really yeah. fun. It's just sometimes As a they're, But they're also, <laughs> these two are brilliant at it. It's oh, it, it's an arm on. You just need to shut your face for a second. <laughs> no, but they really are. They really are brilliant at it, and it's an art form for them, and they, they do it so well. It's a, not everyone is that. Yeah. I would say you might not feel confident, but no one is that good at it from the outside looking in. I think you're all amazing at it. Um, I do in this film, uh, during, <laughs> while you guys are. I mean, all, you. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but while you're organizing the heist, Debbie says to Lou, 
uh, you're talking about why this is going to work and you say a him gets noticed and a her gets ignored mm-hmm. for once we want to be ignored mm-hmm. when do you think we're going to get to the point where we don't we ignore the fact that there's eight fabulous women on screen and it is just the norm it's just someone else when telling it becomes their story the norm, but, but i also think a- as an actress talking about walking the red carpet you your job is to ignore the media I mean, you have to, I've, I've learned really early on, there's five people, and you ain't one of them, um, <laughs> no, who you listen to, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, yeah. you know, and particularly, that's what I loved about this film, is I really valued the opinion, the creative opinions of every single person mm-hmm. I was working mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. And so you, you've got to block that judgment out, because I can, you know, I, I, constructive criticism I know what to do with, mm-hmm. but being trolled, or the misogyny that's often in the media, yeah. it's like, you know, just shut yeah. that out. It's useless. Yeah. Lou also says to Debbie, why what? do you do this? Yeah, she, yes. why, why do you want to do this? Why, so, why do you need to do this? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you guys want to do this? Oh, oh my oh, God. That's a, I mean, big, ooh, a big question. That's a $24 even, yeah. question. I have a relationship. Like, you're, you're, mm. I'm never going to do it again. I'm mm-hmm. failing. I'm just going to quit. And then you have some time off, and you're like, so when, when am I going to get my next? Mm-hmm. It's, you always, if you're given an opportunity to better yourself, at least for me, I'll take it. And then I'll regret that I've taken it. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go back under my rock again. And then you sort of, it's just, it's a cycle. It's a vicious cycle. At least it is. I don't think it's a, it's a myth that all actors are exhibitionists. I certainly have to I get seduced yeah. into it. I and think, it's, yeah. um, I'm compelled to do it. Because no one in their right mind would be yeah. in this. Unless, Inviting you know, that kind of scrutiny and that yeah. kind of judgment. But. Please continue doing it. I love your work. Thank you for taking Thank the time to love chat to us. Thank so you. I know they were talking about their love-hate relationship with acting there. I'm so glad the three of them are still doing it because they are three are the most fabulous ones on screen, aren't they? Superstars. There's still so much more to come on today's Blissimo Files, including chats with Ricky Gervais, Margot Robbie and Colin Farrell. The Bellissimo Files is home to the world's biggest stars. This is Spin. On the show, we haven't always had to go international because here in Ireland we have some of the biggest stars. I've had all of the Gleeson family on the show. I think Donal and Brendan have been on a couple of times. Of course... There's Colin Farrell. A little bit more about him a little later on. But I want to go closer to home, my home. Is that okay, Aoife? I know it's international, but we've got to have one Aussie on for me. What do you mean? You're not from Ireland. (laughs) (laughs) Is my accent that good? (laughs) Margot Robbie. I followed her since she was in Neighbours. So to see her go global was amazing. But one thing I found quite shocking is that she still suffers from imposter syndrome. A lot of people say that about you, Margot, that you do have these inclusive sets and you make everyone feel so comfortable and you are kicking ass right now. But I can't believe that you also succumb to imposter syndrome. Like I've heard you say. <laughs> this one's done research. I know, I My love goodness. it. I still think everyone will realise and ask, how did you get get here? You're not good enough for this. Who let you in? After your second Oscar nomination, tell me like you're feeling like you belong now. No, I swear you still, I, I, don't, I don't know if everyone else is feeling that when you go to the Oscars or something, but you are waiting for someone to tap you on the shoulder and be like, aren't you just some like chick from the Gold Coast? What are you doing at the Oscars? Get out of here. It's, you, mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like I'll always have imposter syndrome. It's like it's too good to be true. She's killing it. Okay. <laughs> you are killing it. And let me tell you, as an Australian girl from Melbourne, you actually inspire us going, okay, I'm just from like the northern sub- suburbs of Melbourne. I can't do this. But we can because you can. So thank you. Oh, Listen, I'm, I'm from Queens and I'm inspired by this chick. Hey. No, we can. Look, I didn't know anyone in the industry. I was not born into this industry or I did, I'd never met someone who had even walked on a film set before to deliver a coffee and <laughs> and I now get to go to the Oscars so trust me it can happen to anyone anywhere if it does that just blow your mind that a superstar someone who's been nominated for two Oscars still thinks she doesn't belong there yeah, I wonder does she feel that way now that she's Barbie? Good point, Aoife. But you know what I've loved from doing these interviews over the years? That the stars, they're just humans, just like us. And of course, they've got all the insecurities that we feel and they're just living a dream. Yeah, but with a lot more superstardom and money than we have. Oh, much more. There's no <laughs> doubt. I found Margot Robbie really down to earth. Another superstar that I find down to earth is one of our very own Colin Farrell. I've spoken to him a few times and every time I speak to him, you think his star can't get any bigger? It's getting bigger and bigger. And do you know one thing that doesn't change? His personality. He is still Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell, what an amazing, gorgeous, emotional roller coaster. Well, that's lovely to hear. Yes, it was all me. You're welcome. It was, it was. I was watching this and after I watched it, I went, I wonder if Colin gets the same emotions we do. Like, can you separate watching yourself it? from the film? Yeah. No, I mean, I did, to be honest with you. I, I found it um, a little bit more 
moving or perhaps involving than a lot of the stuff that I've watched that I've been a part of. Um, I think by virtue of the film being so beautiful yeah. and the canvas the film is told upon being so colourful and, and so detailed and so... And as a lover of Tim Burton, it was it was lovely to find myself on both sides as an actor working with him for the six months and then to be able to sit back and watch a Tim Burton world come to life because there was many things in the finished film that I didn't see on the day. But at the end of the day, I'm in it, so it's kind of ruined for me. But it was it was there was a couple of times doing it, the actual film where it was quite moving. Really? Uh, yeah. And not by virtue of being in the scene, supposed to be character moving. Yeah. But as Colin arriving on the set, I just refer to myself in the third person. When I arrived, when I arrived on the set, and, and particularly the Dreamland set, Michael Keaton, Van der Veer's huge big theme park, yeah. and I stepped into a room, you know, it was 10 o'clock in the morning, it was bright outside in London, and you walk into this big warehouse, and just the natural order of things turned on its head, because there was this huge wooden boulevard that led to this giant big top tent and 600 people and circus performers everywhere and 10 cars, Ford Model T cars from the early part of the 20th century, 20 horse, a brass band playing. It was just, and I, I teared up, totally teared up that morning because it was just magic to see so much talent and skill and passion and imagination come to life and you'd want to have a cold heart to not be moved by it. Yeah, because I was going to ask you, I mean, your job is great in that you get to do what we did as kids, live yeah, in this world totally. of make-believe. Yeah, totally. That's one of the beautiful things. I mean, the, well commented on because for me that's one of the most beautiful things about being able to do what I do for a living is that I think for many of us as adults, and I've certainly fallen afoul of this through the years at various times, um, the imagination shuts down. You know, the wonder of life departs uh, and it departs by virtue of being shown the door by the responsibilities that we mm -hmm. acquire and the burdens of certain things and the pressures. And, and one of the most beautiful things about what I've been able to do, as I say, for 25 years or so, is that it's kept my imagination alive. It's kept a certain playfulness alive. It's allowed my spirit to have that kind of degree of flight that not many adults experience in the day to day and I get paid for it. And never was that more um, front and centre than on this film. You know? Millie says to her father Holt, maybe I don't need the world staring at me. Maybe I'm not like you and mum. Mm. You got into this because you're passionate about the craft, but how do you handle it when, you know, being in this industry, it is a bit like being in a circus and everyone wants to gawk at you when <clears> you're in your private life. I mean, I, I don't... I, there's two or three times a year where I go out in the road to sell something, you know, and, and we meet at one of those times. Yeah. And, and it's, it's OK. I mean, it's not my favourite thing in the world. This is grand. This is honestly because we're having a banter, you know. But the other stuff, the kind of chaos or the what can feel at times like a bit of desperation around it is, is a strange thing. Mm -hmm. And um, But I have my own understanding of why it is the way it is and what it means and how little it means to me personally or, or how little it says about me as a person deeply. Um, so just get on with it. And I, there's a lot of... Not trying to be a good guy, aren't I? But there's a lot of good that's come of it. So, you, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to everything. Yeah. Um, but I don't live in it. That's what I meant to say. I don't live in it. I, yeah. I do this two or three times a year, sell a film or TV, whatever it is. And then outside of that, I'm living a, whatever the idea of a normal life is, you know. Yeah. Another line that really stood out is the secret to showbiz is always to keep a rabbit in your hat. Right. What's your secret to being so successful in this industry that can be so fickle? Oh, I don't know. Chance, luck. I mean, it's out of my control. You know, you, you work as hard as you can when you go to work, but there's so many factors at play. You know, there's so many... There's so many different energies and, and so many different conspiracies that, that have to kind of come together to, to make a film, not even work, but to just make it exist. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm still working 25 years later. It's a bit of a joke, so I haven't been... I'm not going to say I haven't been found out yet. I think I have been found out a few times, but I've been let return to the scene of the crime more than once, so I'm all right, you know. It's because we love what you do and you bring us films like Dumbo, so Thank Colin, you. keep doing it. Thanks, love. He's just so humble and such a sweetheart. I love Colin Farrell. Actually, I cannot wait in a couple of weeks' time. He's going to be here in Ireland mm -hmm. because himself, Martin McDonough, Brendan Gleeson, they're all reteaming for the Banshee movie. I cannot wait to see that. Yeah, I probably pronounced that wrong. Excuse my Irish. <laughs> but cannot wait for that. Three, two, one. Let's go. It's the Bellissimo Files. The Bellissimo Files. On spin. You're listening to The Wismo Files on Spin with me, Serena, and producer Aoife. Oh, I just love that song. That was my dance track of the week a few weeks ago. And I'm so happy it's getting so much radio play. And she is so sweet as well. We had her on the show a couple of weeks ago. Something else that I absolutely love besides Eliza Rose is TV. 
and there has been amazing TV shows of late. I think some of my favourites have been Schitt's Creek. Yeah. You mentioned earlier on that we had Catherine O'Hara on the show. Yeah, we also had um, Alexis. Can you do the ew, David? Ew, no, I can't, no. <laughs> do you know what I was raging about? Ew, David. <laughs> yeah, no. Do you, know, do you know what I was raging about? When I had her on, everyone was like, oh, you got her to do the ew, David. I went, yeah. You idiot. Why didn't you get her to do Ew, Serena? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, anyway. Um, we also had Shudi Gatwa and Asa Butterfield on. Yeah, from one of my favourite TV shows, Sex Education, which I'm just, I just love them. They're so funny. And talking about Sex Education, it is coming back season four, we're up to. Yeah. Dan Levy is going to be in it. Yes. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Yeah, can't Good wait. Good old Schitt's Creek and Sex Education crossover. I cannot wait. A series I think that none of us expected to blow us away as much as it did was Afterlife, written by Ricky Gervais. That was absolutely brilliant. I caught up with Ricky and his co-star, Kerry Godleyman, to talk about Afterlife just as it was beginning. Ricky and Kerry, congratulations on the afterlife. I absolutely loved it. Oh, thank you. Does it frustrate you, though, when, you know, people see your name attached to something, they take lines out of um, context and they just find controversy for controversy's sake? It's always happened, but it's it's not just me. It's it's, uh, if you deal with sort of taboo subjects, which I do, um, then uh, someone somewhere is going to find something you say offensive, you know, Um, but I've uh, I've embraced it and uh, and I push back. Um, and as long as I can justify everything I do, um, you, you try and make it bulletproof. Yeah. Um, so you've got. You, I assume as many people are going to hate this as love it for whatever reasons. M- most people aren't aware or they don't care. Uh, and it, a lot of it's clickbait as well because. Um, you know, that, that headline that's very common now, mm. so-and-so said a thing and people are furious. No, people aren't furious. 0.001% uh-huh. of people are furious. The rest of us don't care and we wouldn't have known about it if you hadn't printed it. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, and there's two quotes on Twitter. People are furious. Two quotes. Two quotes on Twitter. <laughs> that's the yeah. news now. Someone's exactly. tweet. I know. How's exactly. Uh, when did that happen? <laughs> I know. So, no, it doesn't. It, you, you assume it. It will happen. You ignore it. You push back. But that's what I loved about this um, series as well, because it was all about us taking responsibility. Like, there's a great line in there that's like, we're not going to change the world, but we can change ourselves. You know, when we change ourselves, we can in turn change the world. That's it. It's about being grown up. It's about owning your emotions. And back to, like, comedy, when people say, oh, that joke's offensive, I want to go, no, 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 you've got to say you found it offensive. Mm, There's nothing offensive about the joke, because not everyone... It's subjective. You've got to own that emotion. And that's what it is. That's what being offended is. It's having an emotion. Someone says, I'm offended, they're just saying... It's like they might as well say, I've got a pain in my leg. I go, what do you want me to do about it? (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Okay, good. Fair enough. Thanks for telling me. There's nothing I can do about it. No. (laughs) Sorry about that. Exactly. (laughs) What you mean is you never want to hear something you don't like again. But there are ways of avoiding hearing things you don't want to hear. Yeah, I suppose. Just don't go into the places where those things are going to come. Don't ever go out. You've always got a choice. Yeah, exactly. You've got a bit of a choice. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Particularly in art and comedy. The only only valid form of censorship is your right not to listen. That's it. You've got it. But as I said, this series just... I didn't expect the amount of themes that it raised to be raised. And one that I really liked was, you know, in this society where we're all about chasing success and chasing our dreams, sometimes we forget that the dream really is to be surrounded by people we love. Mm. So how have your ideas about dreams and success changed over the years? The only success that matters is happiness. That's it. It's the bottom line. And people go around the houses to get it. They think things like money will bring them happiness. I mean, it helps, you know, if you, if, 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 you know. Um, you've got to pay the uh, bills. Exactly. You've got, you've, got, you've got to live. You've got, um, people think fame has sorted out. But they, they just go, all you have to do is go straight to being happy. What makes you happy? Yeah. Um, a dog. Well, it's the relationships, isn't it? That's yeah. why Tony's in such despair is because he thought what made him happy or defined happiness was his marriage. And then that's gone. And he has to reassess and then it's about relationships and connection and finding, like you say, yeah. it's about success is a subjective 
thing, you know, like it, it used to be defined by wealth or money or status, but is it, or I, is it I, defined I, by a happy marriage? Well, it, that's certainly that, but even that, you've got to try it. I don't think you could call something a success if you haven't tried well, it. Well, it's measured by the happiness of the person, you know, it's entirely... Of course. Like Tony said, I'm successful because I had a job, it paid the bills, and I had a close companion, and that, uh, that made me happy and successful. But he knew it. He knew every day with his wife was a day not wasted. As he said, I didn't worry about anything else. I wanted to get home, open a bottle of wine, let's party. And by party, I mean sit her on the couch with Lisa and the dog. He yeah. knew he had the perfect life. And so that's why he's angry, because it was taken away from him. He didn't do anything wrong. No one did anything wrong. And and he's he's in the second stage of grief, and he's angry, and he's lashing out. But um, he's also sulking. He's mm-hmm. also going, why should I start again? And I like it when she says, you know what you like when you don't get your own way. I, know. I love that. I, 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 yeah, I put that in because I did want... A, a, we, we are narcissistic and we do think, why me? Well... Why not? Because it happened. Exactly, yeah. The universe isn't unfair. Mm. It's impartial. It's, it's, and it's, you know, that's it. It, it. There's no will to it. Um, some things just happen. Some people have a bad day and some things happen. Mm. And... Uh, uh, I suppose the big question in this is, if you had everything and then lost it all, is life worth living? With no spoilers, that's the question I ask and hopefully answer. I watched all six episodes in one day. Great. Absolutely loved it. And at the end of it, I went, I think I'm happy. I'm happy for it to end this way. And then I walked away and I went, no, I'm not happy for it to end. <laughs> Are you going to go in for a ser- uh, series two? I, I really want to now. Good. Um, I, always, I always do something that's that's, you know definitive and finite and um, you know and just in case I die <laughs> the next day um, but I, I fell in love with it I fell in I fell in love with the characters um, and uh, uh, I, I have started thinking about it and um, yeah I, I, I'd love to do a second series Ricky was saying he'd love to do a second series. Well, he's done more than that. He's done a second and a third. If you haven't seen Afterlife, do yourselves a favour. It is absolutely gorgeous. Have lots of tissues by your side. It is on Netflix now. The Bellissimo Files is home to the world's biggest stars. This is Spin. You're listening to The Bellissimo Files on Spin with me, Serena. We're still to come on the show. We'll be catching up with Denzel Washington. But before we do that, I want to look back at some of the funnier interviews I've done on the show. I've caught up with the likes of Dame Judi Dench and Sir Ian McKellen. I was going to play that out, but I couldn't because it was more a visual thing. Aoife, I interviewed them for cats, and then they started pretending they were giraffes. <laughs> like it was just, it was just what? crazy. Two and like two late seventies, eighty-year-olds. Yeah. They're pretending to be giraffes. If you want to see it, it is up on my YouTube channel now. The Bellissimo Files is where you can catch that. I also had Kevin Hart and Tiffany Haddish on the show. All I did was laughed. I think I asked one question and then they took it away for the next four minutes. But the one that had me laughing the most, and I probably shouldn't have been laughing, is where Jamie Dornan and Emily Blunt, we were talking, oh my gosh, we were talking about Wild Mountain Time. Not a great film, but I loved this interview, um, even if I was a little bit insulted. Jamie, how does it feel to actually be releasing a film this year? Because it has been such an uncertain year when it comes to the cinema. I mean, Emily, I think I was supposed to be talking to you back in March for A Quiet Place 2. But you guys finally have something out on the big screen. No, it's mad. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, this is the third film I've had out during this year. The first one is this movie that actually probably benefited more from just being released uh, digitally. It's a very small film and sort of made sense for it. The second one's actually done surprisingly well, um, a film called Synchronic with Anthony Mackie that that, uh, most of its money came from drive-in theatres in the States, which is kind of mad. But the weirdest part about that is, you know, you have this amazing experience making these films and then don't get to all be together a year later and then and, and to offer it to the world and all have a party and a drink together. And that bit of it's been a wee bit bad. But listen, you know, at least people are getting to see it. Jamie, Emily kept mentioning the words oddity and quirkiness and they could relate perfectly to your character of Anthony. You said that you could relate to that. What do you two have in common? It's almost better for Emily to answer that, haven't you spent all that time with me? Listen, we're all odd, all of us, right? Whether you want to believe it or not, you're weird. You're a weirdo. Emily's a weirdo. We're all weirdos. And, <laughs> and Anthony is, is like the king of the weirdos. The king of the weirdos. Oh, that's going to be your autobiography. I love that. The king of the weirdos. <laughs> 
else can say they've been called a weirdo by Jamie, John and Aoife? Not many. No. But do you know what I like about that? He called himself a weirdo too. Still to come on the Bellissimo Files, we are going to be catching up with Denzel Washington. Three, two, one. Let's go. It's the Bellissimo Files. The Bellissimo Files. On spin. It's the Bellissimo Files with me, Serena, where producer Aoife and I are celebrating the last 10 years of the Bellissimo Files. Aoife, I say that it's been fun, and it has, but some of the interviews have been tough. One of those interviews, and I love him as an actor. Like when I found out I was going to interview Denzel Washington, I was like, oh my God, this man is an incredible actor, and he is. And he's an incredible funny man. But, oh, I had to work hard to actually build a rapport with him. Listen to this. Denzel, it's great to see Robert back on the big screen. What did you love about getting to be Robert again? I like the script. I like the sort of father-son story, you know, that 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 gave me, you know, without giving things away. Uh, I, I like the relationships that uh, that Richard, the, the writer, developed for this, this episode. It's a very physical role. Um, you get into precarious situations, sometimes in really horrible conditions. Did you ever turn to Antoine and go, ah, come on, you've got to be joking. We're not going there. You're no. taking it too far. No. No, because no, it, it's, it's not just on the day. Everything is planned. I mean, yeah. it has to be safe, and we're working with experts and great, great fighters and martial artists, and I know how to fight, and we just keep everything safe. How do you feel at the end of the day, though? Some days. Depends upon what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we're doing fights every day. Well, how do you deal with the... Because I know when I'm working out, the toughest thing isn't the next day. It's day two, dealing with day two pain. So when your body's in pain and you're having to go through it again, how do you deal with that? Don't start on day two. <laughs> you know, I mean, we started training months out, months yeah. in, in, in advance. So uh, there's a lot of stretching, a lot of ice. There's no, there's, no, there's no secret, you know, magic pill. No. No. You've been in this industry for 40 years now. Do you have a standout moment? One? Well, when you look back, yeah, a few. What, what stands back. out? I don't look back. Really? I look forward. Looking forward, like you have done so many diverse. That was roles. very good. You jumped right. In. Well, to, since you said that, though, <laughs> looking forward, very well, good. Do you know you've done a lot of diverse roles, um, and it, it must be great not to have to audition anymore. Scripts landing on your desk, but because you're Denzel Washington, do you sometimes think I'd love to do that role, but people don't consider me for that role? What role is? What character would you like to play that hasn't come across your desk yet? Uh, I, I couldn't say. N- none. None. I mean, I don't. I don't look for. I don't look at it that way. Yeah. I mean, my life unfolds. I'm not interested in Equalizer next. I just finished The Iceman Cometh. Uh, I'm, I'm talking with Bob Zemeckis about a film about the world of art. Uh, I directed Fences, so that's what I like. Yeah. I, I don't have any. You know, oh, two roles that I always wanted to play. Leard, maybe, down the line. Yeah, that's one. It's funny. I asked Meryl Streep that same question, and Lear is so much yeah, she did, as yeah, well. You know, Glenda, I hear Glenda Jackson killed it. You've won so many awards over your career. What do awards mean to you? Well, I mean, we all want to be loved. You know, you get yeah. to go to the party, you get a free suit. <laughs> uh, and and it's your peers saying, hey. You know, it's your day. Finally, I, I'd watch you in anything. Do you ever walk past the TV and you see a film of yours and is there one film where you go, I need to sit down and watch that again? Can no, you do that? No, I, I don't need to do that. Don't even want to do that. I may watch a scene, but like I said, forward, Look not forward. backwards. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what you have coming up. Touche. (laughs) Denzel, lovely to meet you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. You got me. That was really hard work. I was Mm. sweating during that interview. Yeah, I think I would have been too. (laughs) (laughs) But I love that in the end, I got him to laugh. I actually ended up interviewing his son a couple of years later for Tenant. And what I loved about that interview was that, do you know what John David Washington used to do when he was at school or whenever he went out and people asked him what his dad did? He'd say he was a bin collector or he was in jail. He didn't want people to know what his dad did. (laughs) If you want to watch that interview, that too is up on my YouTube channel, The Bellissimo Files. The Bellissimo Files is home to the world's biggest stars. This is Spin. You're listening to the Bellissimo Files on Spin with me, Serena, where today producer Aoife and I have been looking back at the past 10 years 
of the Bellissimo Files, which was formerly known as Plan B. We've been doing that because today is our final show on spin, isn't it, Aoife? I know. How sad. It has been sad, but you know what? It has been amazing. I have to say, it has been a lot of hard work, mm-hmm. a lot of grafting, but so much fun and so much love. How many people can say that they have lived out their dream job? I know Denzel Washington said, you know, I don't look back. Why am I trying to do his accent? I can't do his accent. But, you know, he said, I don't look back. I look forward. But sometimes I think it's really important to look back and see how far you've come and celebrate those successes before you look forward and move to the next thing. So what I want to say before we talk about the show and before, of course, we're not going anywhere without playing out our iconic Aoife Plunkett's dance track of the week. (laughs) But before I do that, I am just going to stop looking at Aoife and I just want to say a massive thank you. This show would not be what it is and what it has been without the amazing producers I have been lucky to call workmates and amazing friends. I started 10 years ago with, I'm going to name them all. Here's some more name name dropping. 10 years ago, there was Riyad Khalif, followed by John Beryl, the fabulous Sharon Linsky, Steve Mannion, you get a mention in there too, Jessica Maciel, and now the honour and privilege of working with the fabulous Aoife. One thing I've learned over the last 10 years is that in order to be successful, there needs to be a little bit of luck, but you need to work really hard But you also need to surround yourself with amazing cheerleaders. They are not your competition. Everybody can achieve their dream. Go out there, chase it, make it happen. Aoife Plunky, thanks a million for Plunky. Since (laughs) when have I called you Plunky? I have her her Insta handle in my head. But Aoife Plunkett, thanks a million for everything. I have thoroughly enjoyed the last 10 years. And we truly cannot come to the end of the Bellissimo Files without saying thank you to Miss Bellissimo herself. The one who, to me, is the true superstar of this show. Even with every person we've spoken to, all of those name drops, you're the real star here. And I I think I can speak on behalf of all of the Spin listeners and say it's been amazing to have your lovely Aussie accent with us on Saturday mornings for the last 10 years. Thank you, Aoife. I think she's trying to make me cry and it may have worked. And actually, last but definitely not least, a massive thank you to all of you who've allowed me to spend my Saturday mornings with you. It has been such a privilege. I'm going to miss it. But as Denzel Washington said, (laughs) we don't look back, we look forward. So I'm going to look forward to my favourite part of the show, Eva Plunkett's Dance Track of the Week. And I'm really excited about this one. I know. And I think, of course, it's Eva's Dance Track of the Week, but the final one had to be a joint decision. And I think we've chosen one that you're really going to love. So turn up your radios. This is Underworld Born Slippy. Guys, thank you for listening. Let's dance. Come back come back to me. The Bellissimo Files is home to the world's biggest stars. This is Spin.